Back in 2011, I started a project called 100 Strangers. It was my first attempt at street photography, and I was terrified doing the first one. I can see him and his friends sitting there in front of a tattoo parlor, and I walked back and forth before I engaged them several times, trying to talk myself into it. And when I approached them, I had a great experience. They were great guys. I I took some what I thought were amazing pictures. It was overall fun. And over the years, I've done plenty, and I've even started teaching street portraits. And I found most people find that once they get past that fear, they find it's a great experience for them too. Well, you're in luck. Today, I'm going to teach you what I've learned about street portraits so you can push past your fears and go out and make great street portraits. Hi there, Canon friends. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast. If you are learning photography using your Canon gear, you're in the right place. Here, we speak with great photographers and extract practical lessons for you. From Rebels to 5Ds, the gear you own is the gear we'll feature. Now, here's your host, Linford Morton. Hi there, and welcome to episode 120 of the EOS Photographer Podcast. This is Lynn, and today we continue with our street photography theme. Now, the last time we met, Josh Katz and I talked about how he approaches street photography, how he constructs his street photography images, and how he decides what makes a good photo when he's out shooting. You know, we we touched on some street portrait themes and topics during that interview. But I really wanted to go deep with it for you so that you would have some some help if you thought that part of the whole street photography experience was going to be interesting to you. So that's what we'll talk about today, how to make street portraits, and more importantly, how to do it fearlessly. The American playwright Tennessee Williams famously said, America has only three cities, New York, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Everywhere else is Cleveland. Well, we're going to be going on a four-day workshop to one of those three, New Orleans, to one of the more culturally rich cities in America. It's known for food, music, architecture, culture, and we are going to immerse ourselves in photographing all these facets, and more. So we'll do food photography. We'll be dining and photographing at a French Quarter restaurant right there in Jackson Square that celebrates the fine Creole cuisine and culture of New Orleans. We'll do live music photography, and we'll photograph live music in one of the city's iconic venues. And then we'll also go up to Treme, to another one of the iconic venues if you follow that show on HBO, and we'll get two different styles of live music. 
We'll do portrait photography in one of the distinct cemeteries. You know, they bury above ground there, and the cemeteries have a have a really sort of an interesting dynamic look, and you can contrast it well in a portrait setting. We'll do travel photography and tell stories about the St. Charles Avenue and the iconic streetcars down in, in uptown New Orleans, as we call it. We'll do street photography, and you'll capture the energy of Jackson Square in the French Quarter. We're going to do all this and more, and you'll have a wide range of different genres, yet an overall really capturing the essence of an American city. If you really want to to fill up your portfolio with lots of great images of an American city, this is one of the ones you're going to want to do. It's four days, and we're going to be photographing everything from March 12 to March 15. It's completely worry-free because we take care of the food, lodging, and transportation while you're there. It's going to be a wonderful experience. I'm teaching it with Freddie Clark of Santee Photo Photography. He is an amazing beverage and food photographer, as well as an all-around tech, you know, technician with photography and a great teacher as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You can go to NOLA2020, N-O-L-A 2020.eosphotographer.com. I'll also have a link to it on the show notes. You're out walking around with your camera and you spot someone who looks interesting. Now, you could take a picture of them from where you are and get a photograph of them undetected. But something about them says, you know what? It would be really cool if I could actually pose them for a portrait and pose them right here. Well, that's how every street portrait starts. Well, that's how it should start. Because for many people, they reach that point and they talk themselves out of it because you say, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, they might think I'm creepy. Uh, I really don't want to talk to people. Uh, what if they don't like it? Uh, what if I offend them? And they go on and on and on. And what you don't realize is many times, if you just approach them and start a conversation, it can work out really well. You can get great pictures, maybe even have a good conversation, maybe even make a friend. Well, Today, I'm going to share with you how you can go about making street portraits, everything you need to know about making street portraits. Now, this was recorded a few years ago for another podcast, but I think it's still relevant today, especially since we just finished talking about street photography and because we're preparing for the Worldwide Photo Walk, where I'm leading a street photography and street portrait photo walk on that day, October 5. So this should be some good stuff and it should be relevant and I hope it helps. Here goes. Okay, so this episode I want to talk about street portraits. The the how and the why and the everything else you need to know to start a street portrait project and enjoy it and do well at it. And I want to talk about it in relationship to my own, which is the 100 Strangers Project. And I find that, I was saying in the opener, that's probably one of the more satisfying things I do as a photographer. So I wanted to share, just shed a little more light on it because I find that 
you know, a lot of people might see it and might be just a little bit, I don't know, apprehensive about doing it or not quite sure how to go about it or might even be a little intimidated. And I find that once you get into it, it's not as hard as you think. As a matter of fact, when I do my street photography workshop in Washington, D.C., you know, the way we structure it, we will start by doing your typical street photography. We'll talk about how we photograph people and if we want to be sort of the silent observer and undetected. And then we'll go and, and, and do more deliberate constructing of a story. And then the street photography to fit that in an already constructed narrative. And then we'll close by doing street portraits. And I usually challenge everyone to shoot at least one, maybe three, possibly five. And I think for the most part, almost everyone who's come through has gone on and done it. And if you have trouble, sometimes I, I'll go out and, and I will, I, I will model it for, for someone or, sh- or shoot it with them so they can sort of see how it's done and feel comfortable with it. But most people, once they've tried it, even if they've been deathly afraid or even decide it's something they don't want to do on their own in the future, usually end up feeling that it wasn't as bad as they imagined it to be. So, you know, let's talk about street portraits and the 100 Strangers project that I'm doing, which you can find at 100strangersdc.com. Now, wh- why even do it? Why bother? Well, for me, when I do street portraits, I ch- I think I, I prefer that to regular street photography for a couple of reasons. One is because I make a, a better connection. Well, I make a connection anyway. And I find that often what I see a lot of in street photography is, you know, pictures of random people walking in interesting backgrounds and, and, you know, this is cool or doing something or if you're really good, there's just a, a, a compelling story that I, that I could sort of draw out of the image. But it, but I'm usually detached from it, right? So I'm usually left to guess what's really going on and wonder who these people are. And that has its place because sometimes a bit of, you know, curiosity can be a useful tool when you're shooting or or presenting your street photography work. But I like the connection and I've enjoyed being able to sort of find a person who I'm wondering, you know, wonder what his story is, wonder what her story is and go and actually get their real story. Because I find that to be sometimes more powerful than anything I could have dreamt up. Because you never know who these people are who are walking around you until you stop and go, well, who are you and what are you doing, right? So the first reason I'm looking for is I get to make a connection with another person, another human being. And that can be really satisfying as you get to know people and who they are and what makes them tick. Now, the second part is, as a result of that, I feel that I get a better story. I not only get an, an an interesting image of a person who might look interesting, but I also get their story. And I think in combination, those two for me make for a much more powerful product. You know, I'm a writer as well as a photographer and probably a writer first, quite honestly, if I'm honest with myself. And so for me, it is, it is satisfying to not just take an image, but also write a story that that complements that and presents someone else's life to the world. 
And so this is what I like about it. Even if you're not, a, even if you aren't a big writer, I think, you know, you can do really short vignettes into people's lives. Like, um, what Brandon Stanton is doing now. And a lot of times on Facebook with his humans of New York, Facebook posts, um, now they're sometimes just short vignettes and some people do it as just short quotes or things like that. But in any event, you have the connection and for what I think is a more powerful story as a result of it. So that's why I do it. And I find that for many other photographers who enjoy street portraits, that connection is, is usually a really big part of the draw. So there, uh, so that, that's the why. And then, and then the next is when I'm out doing it, I think part of the success, oh, you know, for the, to the extent I have any success with this, I think it's because I'm, I'm much more selective about who I approach. So who do I approach? What I'm looking for first and foremost is someone who looks interesting and who looks like they might be an interesting story. So what do I mean by that? If if someone walks by and I find myself wondering, I wonder what his story is. I wonder why she's wearing that. I wonder why she's doing that. I wonder why he's, and if I find myself naturally curious about who you are and what your story is, I find that that is the setup for a much better conversation story and street portrait as a result of it. And I find that as a result of that, um, because I am being selective and following the more interesting story first, I think it makes it easier for me to approach and it makes me more successful. I was listening to, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm thinking about this is I was listening to Street Focus's last episode, which was Valerie Jardin was talking, Jardin, I'm sorry if I'm massacring your name, Valerie, but she was talking with a guy named Mark Ryerson, who is a street portraiture um, photographer up in Canada. And he was saying that he was, she was asking if people turn him down. He was saying, you know, he's maybe 50% successful, which I thought that was high. I thought it was, whoa, half the people you, you approach turn you down. For me, that's a lot. Um, I find most of the people I approach are game. It's, you know, very few people will say no. And even when they do say no, sometimes they end up saying yes. And we talk about this also in my class. I've had like a couple times when I walk up to someone and I'd start a conversation and I'd ask and they go, no, 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 I don't want to do it. But I, but I, as, as a result of the conversation that keeps going, they end up going, you know what? Let's go ahead and take the picture. And one of my favorite examples of this was one of the guys I photographed, a guy named John. He was sitting and eat and sipping coffee. And, you know, I went up and asked if I could take his photo. And he's like, no, no, no. And then later he, then he saw me again. He, you know, waved me back over, said, tell me some more about this project. And then after that, he said, it's okay. Go ahead. Take my picture. And I got a pretty good, you know, image out of it as a result of it. And we had a really great conversation about, you know, he was from Serbia, so, so, you know, geopolitics and the like. So it was a great connection. Um, and, and so you find this, you know, can happen that people who might not have been interested once they've connected with you will, will likely go along with it. And this happens, you know, probably more times than the most dramatic one was we were, 
um, we were doing our street photography workshop. And so I'm talking with a group of, you know, photographers and I see a, a young lady standing on right near, right outside a restaurant on the corner. And I said, and so they were looking, so, you know, my, 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 my class was looking at me sort of do, in a sort of dubious way when I said, yeah, you can just approach anyone and most people will go along with it. And so I said, watch this. I'll, I'll model it for you. So I go over to her and I start a conversation, ask if I can take her photograph and she recoils and she looks at me and frowns and says, that just sounds creepy. And, and she said it loud enough for everyone else who was looking on to hear it. And they all just dissolved into laughter. So now I've got about eight people just laughing at me, sort of knee slapping, laughing, having a good laugh at my expense. And at this point, I was like, oh, this story can't end like this. So I kept talking with her and I kept talking with her and I kept working on her. And within five minutes, she not only agreed to have me take her photograph, but all eight of the students who were laughing at her all came over and she posed for all of us. And we had a good time as a, as a result of it. So what I'm saying to you is sometimes the connection and the conversation can break down the barrier and let you in. And so if you go in looking for the connection and the story and you can communicate what that is, most times people who might not even be naturally open to this might might give you a shot and so you you'll you'll convert more if i can borrow that phrase from the marketing people so i get a better connection and i look for someone who looks interesting and i look for the story first because again this is key if i if i'm walking over there and i have a clear sense of what i what the story is and i lead with that then i find that makes makes an easier um introduction into what I'm doing, which leads to my next uh, point, which is approach to make a connection. And what I tell a lot of my students is you approach person to person first and not person to not photographer to person. So you're going to go to make a connection person to person. I'm going to see something about them. I'm going to walk up. I'm going to start a conversation. The camera is fully visible in my hand or around my, you know, across my shoulder but I'm starting a conversation about something else and we're connecting as humans first. And I find that makes it easier for us to have, um, have success. And so when you're, when you do that, it's easier to establish a connection. And then the story usually follows pretty soon after. So what I mean is I go and I launch into whatever my story idea is as soon as I meet them, because one of the things that's going to be important for you to do is, is really establish that connection fast, like right away. Because if you don't, then people are going to wonder what the heck is going on. So I'll walk up and go, um, uh, oh, so this guy I shot in, I think his name is Anari, when I was in New York, actually. I was up there with my son last summer. And I got a couple of good ones there that I liked from um, one day I was sitting in Starbucks and he was in there working and he had a, a, a T-shirt. I forget, I forget what it said. It was the name of his company. And, I, and I'm looking at him and I said, something about that guy looks interesting. It looks like he might be sort of uh, somebody who is creating a startup company. He's going to flip it in five years. We're going to be reading about him in Forbes. And so the, I, when I walked up to him, that's what I said. I walked up to him and said, you look like I'm going to be reading about you flipping an, an IPO in about five years. What are you doing here? And of course he just busted out laughing because he thought that was the funniest thing. 
turns out he was an entrepreneur and he was working on, on a startup and it led to a pretty good conversation. But I, I, I sort of launch into, you know, who I think they are and my questions for them. And that really sort of, you know, breaks the ice quickly. I, the, the other person I got there was a lady who was sitting out outside of her office. She was smoking and she looked like she was really frowned up and she looked pensive and she looked like she was having a bad day. So I walked up to her and said, this has got to be the worst smoke break in the entire world. You just look like you're having a rough day. She busts out laughing and then she says, yeah, it was just sort of deep in thought. It was, it has been sort of a rotten day. And so we started talking about that after and soon, quickly, soon, soon after that, I'm taking her photograph. So the approach is often to just make a connection with them about something about them. And I find that leads us into the story easier and faster and allows us to make a connection quicker. So so approach to make a connection. The other point I would make after that is, you know, flatter and appeal to our vanity. Sometimes I, I, I lead with a compliment. And I think most of us are vain enough that that is still a good way to lead in. Now, when I say that, I don't mean a manipulative sort of a manufactured compliment because I think most people will see through that. But one of the important things about seeing the story first is it makes it easy to find a compliment that is related to that story. So if he looks like when I walk up to the gentleman who looks like a like he is a, an entrepreneur and I say, hey, you look like I might be reading about you in five years. You know, that's a genuine compliment based on what I saw in him and, and the story that I that I sort of envisioned. So many times and many times it's as simple as, you know, you know, I like what you're wearing and whatever it is you like about that. Just be specific about it because specific is always better because it, it feels more genuine. I had a young lady who was in my one of my workshops and she decided that she was just going to look for people who had shoes that she liked. She was a big shoe person and she used that as a, as her introduction. Now, most of the women I know, if you walk up to them and say, you have great shoes on, you know, that's an easy way to get the door open. And she did work that all morning long and got just a lot of great portraits because when she says, I love your shoes, the lady on the other end was usually flattered. And, you know, within a couple minutes of talking about the shoes, they were willing to pose for a portrait. So. Think about that too. Flatter and appeal to our vanity is the next point. Um, and then after that, the next, the, my, my, the next point after that is ask these two questions, right? Ask these two questions. One, what are you doing? And two is why? Now, what are you doing is important because it's built on the premise that you saw them doing something, which is where the story is. The story is usually based on some sort of an action, right? I'm looking for someone who's doing something. If I'm looking for a story as opposed to something that's just when nothing is happening, that's usually the street photos that are boring. It's usually because nothing is happening and there's nothing happening that I can recognize or even wonder about. But when, the, when I see someone doing something and doing something I recognize and doing something that looks interesting, that's where your stories are. So 
Look for the verb. That's always one of my, my suggestions. Look for the verb when somebody's doing something. And so you begin by asking them about what they're doing. And with that, you get the action and you get the description of what's happening. And the next question is going to be the more important one, which is why? The motivation behind what they're doing. And that is where you start getting people to tap into um, something a little more intimate or deep or 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 something closer to who they really are you're getting beyond the surface if you will by asking them you know why you know why are you doing that and 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 as getting them to think about why it's important to them whatever it is it happens to be or who they happen to be so you get the action you get the motivation and i think these are two great ways to start a conversation and to get people um, talking about themselves. At the end of the day, what, that's what you want them to do is to start talking about themselves. So that leads us to the next point. Listen and follow your curiosity wherever the story takes you. Now, this is important because I don't know how many times I've been sitting on a train, for instance, or somewhere in public, and I, I, I'll see a group of people talking. And no one's actually listening. So you'll see, you'll hear like four or five people in conversation and all of them are just waiting for their turn to talk, basically. So someone will say, well, I do it like this. Another person will go, well, I do it like this. Another person will go, well, I do it like this. And a fourth person will go, well, I do it like this. And everyone's waiting for their turn to talk about the way they do, do whatever it is they're talking about or whatever is going on. And, I know they're not listening because nobody ever asks any follow-up questions. And that's always the, you know, what will give you away, betray you as a non-listener versus the listener. Because if you're really listening, you'll have a follow-up question. And if you, and I, I think for most people, we're so not used to that. That if you give someone your full attention, you're making eye contact and you're asking follow-up questions, boy, that can be something that the human spirit just yearns for. And you will you will find themselves, they will feel like they're connecting to you and they won't even know why. And it's usually because they get, they're getting to really talk about something that nobody will ever listen to. I, I, I remember when we interviewed Brandon Stanton for one of our webinars, he talked about, he said, he said he did that with one guy he was photographing. And by the end of the conversation, the guy says, man, I've told you stuff I wouldn't, I haven't even told my wife before. And they laughed about that, but it's true because it's so hard to get someone just to stop and listen to you that when you do, you will find that you will hear the most remarkable stories. So listen and then follow your curiosity is more about your follow-up questions. Uh, you know, you, you're going with one or two who are you questions and why and why and why. And then pretty soon the story will begin to reveal itself for most people. And then you just sort of follow your natural curiosity and see where where it goes because you know, you don't want to be too rigid with the story you think is there because the story that reveals itself might be very different from what you imagined. And you want to be open to that. Because then that will also, it can also lean, lend itself to you thinking about the way you photograph them, where and why and how might also be influenced or informed by what they tell you in their story. So listen and follow your curiosity. The next point is direct and collaborate for the best shoot. Now, what do I mean by that? 
when you have a camera in your hand and you approach someone, you ask for their portrait, it's okay to take control because I think most people at that point see you as the expert and they see you as the person who knows what you are doing. And so when they said, yes, I'll take a photograph, you take control at that point and begin to direct the shoot. Now, in order for you to be able to do this effectively, you ought to have some ideas before you even walk over there. So before I even walk up to a person and begin to ask for a shot, I've thought about three or four different ways I might position them based on what I what I've seen so far. I'm, I've 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 sort of scanned to see where the light would be best for them. I've looked at the background to see where it's going to be most distracting and where it's most flattering. I look at everything. So by the time I walk up to them and I begin a conversation. If I need to move quickly, I can, because sometimes people won't have time to sit, stop and have a long conversation with you. They're like, yeah, take the picture quickly and go. I had that happen yesterday. She didn't say quite that way, but you could tell, you know, she was working and she didn't have time for a lot of conversation. And because I thought about, you know, I, I, I made a 360 around it before I even approached her, just looking at the background from different angles. And so just like a, sort of walking aimlessly, I just sort of walked to walk and then where I'm glad I did because where I initially wanted to approach the background there was very busy and I just didn't like it at all. And I went to the other side and I found I could simplify it just a little better. It wasn't ideal, but it was better. And so I ended up when I approached it from that angle, I, and she was, and she agreed to be photographed then I could, and I knew she'd be busy. I could back up, take a quick shot and frame it the way I'd seen it. So you want to at least envision where you want the shot to be first, and then you can take control quickly if you need to by going, you know what, why don't we stand here? Why don't we move here? And most people, if you're taking control like that and, and asking them to move left or right or somewhere else, you know, let's go under the shadow where the light's even and much better, they'll go along because they see you as the expert and nobody wants to look silly in a photograph and they figure you're doing this to help them look much better and have a better end result for their portrait. So don't be afraid, be afraid to move people around and, you know, ask them to do different things. Now, the flip side to that is you want to pay attention to body their you want to pay attention to their body uh reactions because um pay attention to their body language I'm sorry that's what I meant pay attention to the body language because that will also be important you don't want i mean you might think it's a great idea to move somebody over here and point them in one direction, but in doing that, you might put them somewhere where they're not comfortable, and so you want to be you know you want to key in on that because it will show through in the photograph if they aren't comfortable or if they, you know, don't like what you're doing. And the other thing that you get, some, some, sometimes you get a happy coincidence because the person you're photographing also has great ideas because they might also be creative. And, and every now and then you photograph somebody who wants to participate in the creative process. And I, I think that's, it leads to something even better because, when two people begin to collaborate, you can even get a better end result. So um, when I direct and collaborate for the best shot, meaning have ideas before you approach them, direct the shoot first, pay attention to body language to make sure that this is, you're not asking them to do something that they're not comfortable with. And then, and then also collaborate. If they have their own ideas, you want to also indulge that because it might even lead to something better than you expected. 
Um, the other thing is contact info. And I got this from the interview I was listening to, you know, Valerie asked, um, Mark whether or not he got their contact info so he could reach out to them later. Now I don't do that. And, um, and it, I, you know, I'd never thought about that. I think for the most part, I try and keep things simple. So I grab my story and I keep moving. And so what I will do is basically tell them where they can find the photograph, and if they ask for contact information or if they ask me specifically to send them a copy, then I will. Um, if someone asks for it, you know, they've done me a, a favor by sharing just a bit of themselves with me. So I almost, I'm, I almost always um, indulge the request. So I'll say, hey, uh, if you want to see this, it'll be in 100strangersdc.com. You can find it there. And for most people, that's good enough. Am- amazingly, a lot of people don't even ask, and I'm always surprised at the the number of people who will let you find out about them and who they are, will let you take their portrait, and will move on without even asking about seeing it later or anything like that. Um, you know, I'd just be too curious. I, w- I wouldn't be able to control myself. I, I would want to see it. Uh, but some people don't, and for them, I just keep moving, and I don't, I don't in- engage beyond that. So... You want to, um, you know, get contact info that depends on your, on your, or what you want to do with it. You know, if you decide you might want to publish this and use it in a way you might even need to go back and get a release, then of course the contact information will be helpful for that purpose. Um, that I, that's never my intention. This is probably more personal for me than anything else. But if you think that it might lead to something where you might need, then that's a good reason to get their contact info. Now, the next tip is, uh, I take audio, I take notes after I've, I've left the person and I usually take audio notes and I use a, an app called Dropvox, D-R-O-P, like dropping something, and V-O-X, V as in Victor, O-X, Dropvox. And I'll have links to all the tools on, on the show notes as well. But I, Dropvox I like because I use Dropbox, the, the, the app and software that lets you store things online in a sort of a, a cloud-based storage system. And Dropvox, when you record, it will create a, an MP3 file and store it into your Dropbox account automatically. So you have separate files for each of the interviews. And I, I for me, that's helpful. So I'll go, like, I'll have a conversation with someone, I'll take their photograph, and then as soon as I walk away, I'll pull out my iPhone and I will sort of speak the conversation back as I remember it while it's still fresh into the Dropbox and have that recording. So later on, when I want to write something, I can just pull that back in for my notes. Now, another way I've, I've, I've done it is I've used Evernote, which is, which is another app um, that's used specifically for notes taking and it has both audio and written. And so I've used that sometimes and I just will create a, uh, 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 and ever know you can create notebooks and then tags and I'll just have a special tag that I use for that. I'll record my 
and I used to do this before I got Dropbox, record my notes, and then then I tap out some um, some things I want to remember, sort of like spelling of the name or something like that. So I'll, I'll, I used Evernote at some time for that. And then the other thing well, tool I've used is this app called Custom Notes, and that's custom with a K, notes uh, with an S, plural. And what Custom Notes does, and I really like this, is it's a, it's a note-taking app, but it allows you to organize your notes by creating little forms that you use that, to prompt you through your notes. So basically, it's you know, you're creating a note, and with the Custom Notes app, it becomes almost like a mini app in itself. And I'll, I'll, I'll show a screenshot of this on, on, my, um, on my show notes. So I can sort of go through and uh, make sure I, I collect the right information, your name, your email address. And this now, now when I use this, I get contact information, their website or anything else I want to use to contact them. And so I'll have it and then it will just sort of email it to me or drop it into my Evernote account. So that's a good tool too, to make sure you capture everything while you're thinking about it or while you're talking with them. Okay. Now, this is sort of cool. And the last thing I want to, well, the second to the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, so the way, one of the things I do when I approach it is when I talk about my project by name, it also helps allay any other um, feelings of uncertainty that my subject might have. So I'll walk up and, you know, when I start the conversation, as I said before, when I, when I ask for the photo, I, I usually start by saying, you know, I'm doing this as part of my 100 Strangers DC photo project. And they'll go, what's that? It almost always leads to a what's that, which will give me an opportunity to talk about it. You know, I find people I don't know who look interesting, who have interesting stories, and I and I get a photograph and just a bit of their story. And they go, and most people go, oh, that sounds like fun. It sounds interesting. And you say, you know, well, now you're a stranger. Now you aren't anymore. And I'll ask for the photograph there. So... And, and I've actually put the 100strangersdc.com on my, 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 my business card. So I can even hand it to them. And if they're still look wondering about it, I said, you know, you know, here's my business card. This is who I am. And, and there's the link to where you can find, um, where the picture will be and your story will be and your portrait will be posted. And for most people, if you go to that extraordinary step, they usually are, are so relaxed unless it's, you know, something else about them that, they don't want this kind of thing. Um, most people I find are open at that point. And, and so, you know, it's whatever you want to call it. You know, mine, because I started with the 100 strangers thing, I call it 100 strangers DC. Most of them are in DC. You know, when I go to New Orleans, I might shoot a couple, but it still will be under the DC page. Um, and of course, Brandon Stanton is known for the humans of New York. And now we have a little franchise of these things popping up with humans of, you know, wherever different cities all over the place. And, and it doesn't even have to be one of the popular names. One of the guys in our meetup group, Alvin Mitchell does people in this city as his, uh, blog name for his street portraits. And he's doing some really fascinating stuff. Um, around the country, I guess he travels a bit and he does uh, portraits when he gets to a new city and he posts that from wherever. So he calls it people in this city, wherever this city happens to be. Uh, Greg Schmiegel does, well, did it for a while. He called ours his, we were all strangers. And, you know, Greg was a very prolific iPhone street photographer. Well, he is. 
And he had a website at one point with Justice Stranger that he treated in the same signature black and white um, style that he used for his street portraits. Really good, powerful stuff he was doing when he did this. The first one I saw was Jim Darling, who had his own 100 Strangers project. And I saw it on display, and I was just captivated because Jim had finished all 100. I'd never seen anyone who'd finished all 100 before. But this was at an, an exhibit called Artomatic in Washington, D.C., where it was like nine floors of art, unjuried art. And if you were an artist, you just paid 100 bucks, got a wall, and you put whatever you wanted on the wall. Well, Jim used his to put his 100 Strangers, which was just powerful. He had one image of a guy with a hood and really these eyes that were just, you know, if you saw the picture, it that picture defined Jim for a long time. And I think since doing that, Jim has gone on now to make a career of of environmental portraits because he be just became so good. And this is another great byproduct. He became so good at portraits as a result of this that he, he became known for it. And then as a result of that, people approached him and asked him to shoot their portraits for for money. So he had a business that came as a result of his 100 Strangers. So that's another byproduct that we didn't even talk about. All right, one last thing I want to hit, and that is what is off-limits versus what is fair game. And I also got this idea from the uh, the interview I listened to, and because the, the guy who, who she interviewed, I forget his name, he said, you know, I don't uh, photograph people who are performing, I don't photograph homeless people. And I thought, okay, it, that, that's sort of cool to make the distinctions of who you will, will and will not photograph. For me, I sort of split the difference for him. I will photograph um, performers because for me, what's most important is to find someone who looks interesting enough to give me a good story. And if that happens to, to be a performer, then I, I don't take the artificial limitation of not photographing them because if they're interesting enough for me to want to photograph um, then, then there's stories there and I'm following the story first and foremost. Um, I got some interesting ones from, you know, this guy who was a face painter and I stopped and interviewed him and took his photograph and we had a great conversation about children and art and another guy who had, a, who was playing an instrument that I'd never, ever seen before. And so I photographed him. And as far as I'm concerned, he was a stranger before I photographed him, got a, a, a really interesting, uh, story about the thing he was playing. And so, you know, the story comes first. Now, homeless people, it sort of boils down to respect and the golden rule. There was one young lady I interviewed and she was very fascinating to me, but I never used her image because she was in a bad place at a time. And she was concerned that she didn't want people to see her that way. And I think just as a matter of respect, I said, you know what, if I were there, I wouldn't want that either. And so, Following the the tenets of the golden rule, I didn't use that image. Now, there are times when you might be homeless, but the story is so compelling that I still pursue it. And the very first person I ever photographed, before I knew there was a 100 Strangers or a street portrait or anything like that, was this guy who would stand on the side of the road and just wave this tree branch and I'd pass him every day on the way to work, just waving this tree branch. And it was just, and he had a very striking face, and which made me wonder, like, who is this guy? And why is he doing that? And what's his story? Because he looks so striking. So one day I just pulled over and got my camera out of the trunk. And I walked over and, and started the conversation. Who are you and what are you doing? 
and he was he ended up being interesting as well you know he said his name was Moses and he was a veteran and you know he lived under the bridge with his rooster and his girlfriend and the rooster's there to wake him up in the morning and you know like interesting stuff but the only reason I did this because was because the story was interesting to me and I was following the story and I think as long as you're not being exploitive and I think you'll know in your heart of hearts you know where you are and if you're really following the story first and foremost and really honoring the person with the story, then I think you're in good shape. So for the most part, I don't photograph the homeless people unless the story is something that overrides any uh, feeling of, uh, you know, that this is, might be something that I wouldn't want for me. All right. So there you go. Those are my tips for your street portraits. Remember, we talked about. Um, why you do it. And I've, you know, want to make a connection. Who do we approach? Someone who looks like they might be a good story. Remember, you want to approach to make a connection. Um, you can try a little flattery and appeal to the vanity. You want to ask questions like, who are you? And, you know, what are you doing and why? And then you want to listen and follow your own curiosity where the story takes you. When you start shooting, you want to direct and collaborate for the best shot. You want to take your notes later because you want to give them your full attention while they're talking so that you can ask follow-ups and so that they can feel like they're being heard. And then, you know, ask for contact info depends on you know what you plan to do with the images. And then if you have a name for your project, it makes it also easier to introduce yourself and to talk about it. And then who's off limits versus who's fair game depends on, you know, where your comfort level lies. But mine is performance of fair game and homeless people generally aren't because I'm looking for stories first and foremost. And I want to be respectful of my my um, subjects also as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of EOS Photographer Podcast. You know, this is a podcast for Canon photographers, but a lesson like this can really apply to anyone. What makes these podcasts more helpful for Canon shooters is when we talk about specific techniques, I usually do it just on Canon cameras. So anyway, I'm saying that to say you can share this episode with another friend who might be interested in street portraits because I think they can get some value from it. All right. So now it's up to us to go put this into use. Go on out there and try some street portraits soon. And let me know how you did. Shoot me an email or tag me online at Learn Your Canon. All right. By the way, what are you struggling with these days? As I work on these podcast episodes, it's always good to know what topics you struggle with and what you would want to learn more about. Again, an email is the quickest and most direct way to reach me. Or, of course, you can meet me over on my Facebook page at learnyourfacebook.com slash learnyourcanon. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for hanging with us for another episode I look forward to talking with you again next week. Take care.